your life, and it's ending one minute at a time. I was blind, but now I see. Working jobs we hate, so we can buy shit we don't need. Ideas are brutal. If you had one shot, everything I'd ever read, heard, seen was now organized and available. Now you fucking khakis. Life moves pretty fast. The Biohacking Secret Show. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, biohackers, depending on what time you're listening to this episode. We are back with Ori Hofmeckler, the man who introduced intermittent fasting almost 20 years ago with his book, The Warrior Diet. But in today's episode, we're going to be talking about something completely different. It's how to biohack your biological fitness. This is something that Ori addresses in his brand new book, The Seven Principles of Stress, which challenges conventional wisdom about diet, fitness, and anti-aging, and shows us how to actually use the stress in our everyday life to help us live longer, stay fit, and ward off disease. He's a modern-day renaissance man. He's one of my favorite people to talk with on the show because he's just brilliant. He's constantly reinventing himself and staying on top of the scientific literature. Um, and that's one of the reasons that he's followed by medical experts, scientists, champion athletes, martial artists, military and law enforcement instructors alike. You can learn more about Ori and his products at defensenutrition.org. Here's what we're going to get into in this episode, just a little teaser for you. The meaning of biological fitness and why it's central to your ability to extend your lifespan, stay fit, and get rid of fat. Why many scientific studies are BS due to the conflicts of interest that compromise credible research, and how to determine if a study is actually legit or a byproduct of a broken system. little spoiler alert, flip to the back and find out who funded the study. Why metabolic flexibility is the key to faster fat loss and one of the primary indicators of your overall health. The little-known receptor protein that's responsible for your body's energy production and critical to slow down the aging process, and much, much more. So without further ado, please sit back, relax, and enjoy my second conversation with Ori Hofmeckler. Hey everyone, I know you'll enjoy the interview. If you'd like to learn more of my top biohacking secrets, get a free copy of my best-selling book called The Biohacker's Guide to Upgraded Energy and Focus for free at biohackersguide.com. It's over 500 pages of my top biohacks and I'll send it to you for free if you cover a small shipping cost. Get your free copy at biohackersguide.com. Ori. Yeah. Haha, <laughs> what's going on, man? Good, good. How are you, Anthony? <laughs> I'm good. It's been a long time. I know. Good to hear from you. Good to hear from you, too. Let's dive in. So we're going to say one of the things I love talking about is that you're always learning. So I'm sure you probably have stuff that you've discovered after the public, public, publication of the book that you're already working on for another one. It's, it's a constant process. You're very right. <laughs> but it's go beyond learning. It's it's more the right word is exploration. Yeah. How, how can how far can you take a principle? You can relate to that better than anyone. How can far can you take a principle and translate it into practice? What happened with our? What happened to me? What happened to my family? What happened to my people? That is the interesting. That probably. Is something that is missing about cold blood research is to take, first of all, to come to principle. Many scientists are afraid actually to take the risk, partly because they are really closing their own niche. Most research today is done by pharmaceutical companies, so the interest is very clear. Finding a molecule that can lower blood sugar, finding a molecule that can, a molecule that can't be that can be patented 
Can't be natural. Right. Products <laughs> that you can make money on. Absolutely. Nobody want to basically, nobody can make a lot of money on natural approaches that we believe in. But when you look at the true science, if you really know how to understand, not just between the lines, the basic biological principles and the common sense, similar stuff that you use, um, you can see that there is unmatched power to Mother Nature. The evolution of millions of years, in fact, two billion years of evolution, no technology can surpass this now. And every time that they try to cut short the process, there is consequences. Every time there is side effect. Look at any drug commercial, just read the side effect. So, yeah, I believe that we should talk about cut to the chase, go to the center of the problem, which I call biological fitness. How many of us manage to define or understand what is the meaning of biological fitness and what can you do with this knowledge? Well, when you think about it, Anthony, and obviously it's a dialogue, um, biological fitness was always central to my vision. I was always interested in human survival or survival period of all mammals or all animals. And you can see that there, is, there are certain kind of principles that improve survival or diminish survival. So biological fitness is about the survival of the species, but that's in general. Let's talk about human. One interesting observation, and I've been working many years and you can relate to that too, is that if we try to prioritize and we've got to do it, what are the key factors for biological fitness? I would say is insulin, insulin sensitivity, and the ability to utilize fat as fuel in the muscle. Well, maybe nobody put it this way, but I'm putting this way uh, and I can prove it. Two things, keeping your insulin sensitive and the ability to utilize fat, triglyceride, fat fuel in your muscle. Guess what? Most people today, even if they have this, are losing this ability. In fact, most people today are not even aware of that. So over the age of 50, the vast majority of people are either overweight or obese and insulin resistant. That means the vast majority of the adult population today suffer from insulin resistant and inability to utilize fat fuel. Let's go to the details of what happened. Cutting edge research show on the past, I would say over 30 years, that one of the key factors of obesity is infiltration of fat from fat tissue to the muscle and the pancreas. It immediately, this infiltration can res result in accumulation of lipid in the muscle. You know, the marble meat that you eat is infiltration of fat of an obese animal into the muscle. It may taste good, but it's not a sign of health. Marble muscle is a sick muscle. It's a muscle of an obese, insulin-resistant animal or human. So that's one factor of obesity and diabetes. Second factor, of course, is insulin resistance. Um, 
The reason for that is that we lack the awareness of biological fitness. A biological fit human have a metabolic flexibility to shift between carb to fat fuel. Carb and fat fuel principle number three. Do not work together. They contradict each other. Generally, when you eat high fat fuel, it inhibits pyruvate dehydrogenase, which is the main carbohydrate metabolism. Okay? And the carb metabolism is just not happening, right? And there is a shift from carb oxidation to fat. Instead of burning carb, you're burning fat. That's how it's supposed to be. In obese people, this shift is not happening right. And therefore, fat is not utilized properly and carbohydrate is not utilized properly. What's the reason for that? Well, banalic as it sounds, it's coming down to your lifestyle and the composition of the muscle that you build. A muscle of an obese or sedentary person is generally vulnerable, not trained to utilize fat fuel, have lower mitochondria content. Mitochondria is the organelle that utilize energy. So when you have low mitochondria, such as the type to be the typical bodybuilder muscle, it can be big, it can be strong, but it's not good in utilizing fat. When your muscularity, skeletal muscle system is predominantly made from fiber that cannot utilize fat, you becoming biologically inferior. That means you are now vulnerable to obesity, diabetes, and metabolic syndrome. But I think it goes far beyond that. Let me talk about the cascade of events that happen to make you biological fit. Above everything, there are genes. There are certain kind of genes that relate to your longevity cascade. And these genes are literally fat-burning genes. These genes belong to a fat super family group of uh, transcription uh, factor, which are called PPAR, peroxidome proliferator activated receptor, gamma and alpha. Now, listen, it's very interesting what happened here. Many people try to lose weight today more than ever actually before, not knowing that one of the biggest obstacles is the composition of the fat cell itself. An inferior fat cell is a large fat cell. It's basically insulin resistant, does not respond well to fat oxidation. It's actually have a defect. It does not want to break down and release fat properly. But the body has certain kind of genes that can still fix that. It's called PPAR alpha and gamma. The gamma, what it does, it converts large fat cells to a new generation of small and active one. Initially, it can even look like a fat gain under the skin. But when these genes are activated, they convert large fat that make you insulin resistant and aerobic and lost lack of durability 
into a fat burning machine, basically, with small fat cells that are ready to burn and oxidize fats and release. PPA or alpha actually is even more powerful because it activates now everything in your body to burn fat, get into this anti-inflammatory mode, activate everything in your body that's supposed to shrive and even live longer. Problem. Most people don't activate it. They don't activate it. For instance, such kind of diet, which I believe is a very primal diet, based on primarily not hunter-gatherer, but gatherer-hunter diet, mostly vegetarian fat, can trigger PPAR alpha, especially polyunsaturated um, omega-3, can activate PPAR alpha. Glucose, however, sugar in saturated fat, especially for animal, inhibit these genes from happening. So look at a typical diet. Show me a diet today, typical, that is not loaded with saturated fat and sugar, and I rest my case. Virtually, so it's, it's not just a regular diet. Look even a sport nutrition product. There is no awareness at all to this phenomenon. The phenomenon that you need to be biologically fit can eat the right food that will signal your body to becoming biologically fit and available, convert your fat cells to burn, keep you lean. Keeping you lean means keeping you in a striving mode, anti-inflammatory, living longer. That awareness do not exist. If you look at a typical protein even bar today, it's made with chemicals or hidden sugar and artificial or not artificial flavors that contain maltodextrin. Maltodextrin is more glycemic than glucose and sugar itself. All these adverse ingredients inhibit your most important genes. And today, in today's world, we need to know all that. I wrote my book, The Seven Principles of Stress, to map together the seven principles upon which you can take advantage of stress, both physically and nutritionally. What is the map that can help you extend your life and, in fact, in my opinion, never die from aging? You know, yeah, everybody ages, but you don't have to die from aging. Um, more and more researchers today contemplate with the idea and believe, start to believe in the idea that we do not have to die from dementia. We do not have to die from Parkinson, Alzheimer, muscle dystrophy, or cancer, or chronic inflammatory disease, most of which are age-related, consider age We don't have to die from that. In fact, Anthony, one day you're going to die. But you have a chance to die, to live long enough to die like the young man, maybe from injury, maybe from stroke, maybe from something, accident, maybe you become too adventurous, sorry for that, get late when you are 90 years old, do some mistakes, <laughs> and die like a young guy. 
not don't have to die like an old man. So I wrote the book and it's based on science. But when you look behind the line and when you look at the accumulating recent research, you can see that you go far beyond conventional thinking. Overall, think about it. You're living in a society that is still did not advance nothing since the 60s. Our concept of fitness hardly changed. You come with a theory of biohacking, which correctly so really target the brain. It's very, very important approach because there is no reason why we're going to lose our brain. It's the one organ that we can keep young forever, for sure. For sure, there is every mechanism show today. I just wanted to put in my book the whole perspective, how the whole lifestyle, how the whole system is built over half a billion years ago to thrive, and how in 100 years, industry of junk food shattered this whole system and diminished our chance to strive as nature intended. Or I, I love that. And um, this is something that a lot of us miss because, you know, my parents were born in the 50s. I was born in the 80s. And we, we don't realize that our, like my grandparents' generation, and like you said, just 100 years ago, the lifestyle, the environment that our cells lived in was completely different than it is today. The food we ate, the stresses we were exposed to. Can you maybe take us back a hundred years and help people who are listening, especially the younger listeners, understand some of the differences we are living in today compared to a hundred years ago? You are very generous with the hundred years ago because the problem already started, but you're absolutely right about one thing. They're much smaller than they are now. I want to go back a hundred years ago and I want to get back, go back maybe 5,000 years ago or um, 2,000 years ago um, to, to fully understand the process of what's happening. We becoming a society, a hundred years ago, we were more physically and nutritionally stressed society. There were less option by the industry, less gadget. Life was, in many ways, for most people, less comfortable. They had to struggle every day with a lifestyle that was more physically and nutritionally stressed. In fact, the fear of hunger was a real fear even a hundred years ago. People were really considering what can we put the bread on the table? What can we eat? What, how do we survive, basically? A lot of misconcept happened at that time. We live today because hunger was a problem in the past, and it is a problem. Hey, look, I clearly show in my book there's a range of stress that's beneficial. You go too high or too low, too low. Lack of stress can kill you and too much stress can kill you. So there is a range that you need to understand must is beneficial for you. This is called biological stress. That biological stress, natural selection rewarded all animals for being with this, this range. It has shown that we even, from bacteria to human, if you starve yeast cell, they can double the lifespan. And the same with mice. So there was a Biological advances, evolutionary advantage for us to strive, to compensate for nutritional stress particularly, but also hardship. Hunger and hardship 
you'll benefit. But we need to know the balance. So a hundred years ago, hunger and hardship, people still struggle with it. Life in many ways were more simple. And um, the problem happened later on when the industry came with solution of excess. Too much food in available in the Western world, too much comfort. Fitness is now come to not concept of what can I do in order to function well? Not really is what can I do to score or to have nice big muscle? Scoring is a big problem. Scoring. When you train to score rather than better survive, you can really trade off, and I can show it, your life, your longevity for maximum performance, for the ability to score. I show in my book, there is a recent research, not that recent, it's like 15 years, but it's now published. They have shown that extreme competitive endurance sport, I'm talking about skiing and long-distance running, those who score most live less. In fact, their longevity shrink to the level of sedentary people. It's an absurd. How can the specimen among us live like long like couch potato? What are they gaining? What mm -hmm. are we I, I, I completely agree. And um, you see some of the people who are experts in the industry pushing themselves, training for races and trying to shave time and shave time when the data is so clear that winning races takes away from longevity, especially pushing yourself in a stressful state for, you know, an hour plus. And, and, and every time you're training for that race, too, it's, it's replicating that same scenario. You're so true, Anthony. The science about chronic stress is out there, but they overlook, they ignore it. Your fight on flight mechanism that saved your life 10,000 years ago is now chronically activated. It is not programmed to be chronically activated. The fight and flight endocrine response in your brain is biologically built to be short-term. It's messy. It's messy. It's built to help you react swiftly, get out of danger, fight, or flee. But when it's chronically activated due to prolonged training, or even more so for prolonged emotional stress, generally they go hand in hand, this whole stress hormone, rather than function, they become dysfunction, rather than helping you survive, they kill you basically. They destroy the whole neurological system. Your body, rather than escape problem, the stress, get into more and more stress. You get into anti-inflammatory process that shorten your life. And guess what? When you look at many athletes today who were specimen in the time that they were competing, as they get older, they get obese and diabetes like regular people. And I'm talking about not just runner, I can, and, and not everybody, but I, I can look at champion boxers, and, and I, 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 I feel bad to name names, but they don't live long, they get overweight, and many of them actually die prematurely young. So you ask yourself, where is it all going? What is the conclusion? The conclusion is that modern fitness, 
or sport are built, in my opinion, on wrong goals, goals that trade off your life and longevity for either scoring or building muscle. And I'm not against bodybuilding inherently. I, I believe that young people, or older people, have a drive to be physically strong and look physically strong. I totally respect it. I myself had this drive. I don't know how far can I go with this, but yeah, I got a boxing uh, area in my patio and I dedicate every day time for that to relieve the stress. I do believe in it, but I don't want to trade my life for that. Mm-hmm. When I look at you, Anthony, you don't look like a guy who also traded off your life for your fitness. It's supposed to be the opposite. Fitness supposed to extend your life. Um, I, I did for a long time before, before I wised up. You know, I think that we come from this American culture where more is better. That's what we're taught. And you assume if you're not getting the results you want, that you're not pushing hard enough or you're not being strict enough with your diet. And then you start to realize what we're talking about now, that our body is intuitive and far more intelligent than we are or our favorite health expert. And if we do a CrossFit workout and then we're crashing in the afternoon, our body's trying to tell us something. But most people are just saying, well, I read in a blog that CrossFit's good for me. So I'm going to keep banging my head against the wall until eventually I get hurt and injured. And with your thought, it goes far beyond. Look at the nutrition, sport nutrition. It's one of the most detrimental things invented to human model sport nutrition. Carb loading absolutely shutter every good gene in your body that's supposed to make you live long. In fact, exercise while fasting is a blasphemy in modern fitness. It's the best thing you can do. When you exercise while you fast, you immediately deplete your glycogen, activate stem cells that regenerate your brain. There is a recent uh, study in Davis University that really showed this phenomenon. And the muscle too, you activate neurofactor and growth factor that repair you, rejuvenate you. But let's talk about the most important thing. When you deplete, even for a short term, don't eat and exercise. You activate certain kind of factor that increase like PGC1 alpha. That not only activate these genes that benefit, they trigger mitochondria biogenesis. Back to the place that we talked before. You start to transform the quality of your muscle fiber. You becoming more and more efficient in burning fat and utilizing energy. So it's not how big you are. What is the quality of the muscle fiber? Is it a fiber? If you don't see it from the outside, is it a fiber that's supposed to just hang in there and let you be strong for a minute or two? Or is it the fiber that allows you to be strong and durable and fast for a lifetime? That's the difference. So when you, even when you don't exercise, this muscle is a lost, long-lasting muscle, keep burning fat and help you thrive. So you look at sport nutrition today, Anthony, most of them are horrible. Most of them have sugar inside before and after, especially after training. After training, you have an opportunity, you sweat yourself. Stay maybe 30 minutes, an hour, maybe more. 
give your body the chance to be in this zone of rejuvenation, energy depletion, repair. Don't shove in immediately your sugar after and before negating everything that you've done. You give your muscle the signal, guy, you're just a fat pig that needs to be fed all the time. Where biologically your body evolved to thrive under energy depletion. Take the challenge of not energy coming, just energy burning, dig into your fat cells, become efficient in burning fat, increase mitochondria biogenesis, spot, modern spot nutrition, shut down all this mechanism. Everything shut down to create you a beef, basically. A big bath that can perform for a short period of time, but nothing else. Very, very two-dimensional. And the brain part, gone. Not even important. Yeah, you're, you remind me of... Um... I'm, I'm a big fan of like the, the UFC and mixed martial arts. And you, you think back to like when the UFC first started, you would, see the, you would see these monsters come in and you'd be like, oh my gosh, this guy is going to kill this tiny yeah, so intimidating. Fighting, right? And he'd go in there and you'd see the jujitsu fighter basically weather the storm until the big guy gassed out. And then he'd, you know, find a way to choke him out. And like, there's this quote from one of my favorite fighters, George St. Pierre, that you reminded me of. And he says, um, he gave the example of the Megalodon, which was basically like a great white shark that was the size of, you know, two to three school buses. And he talked about what happened to the Megalodon and how that's a lesson, uh, you know, a, a Darwinian lesson for life. And he's like, you know, the, the Megalodon was the fiercest predator to ever roam the sea. It was bigger than the, the T-Rex and dwarfed anything on land. Um, and what happened to it? Well, it went extinct. Why? Because it wasn't efficient. It required too much food to fuel all of the muscle that it contained. And during a period of scarcity, it went extinct. This is why so many of like, this is why and what you're talking about, our ability to withstand a period of scarcity, you know, i.e. a fast is a pretty good indication of our cells ability to convert fat to fuel of our mitochondrial health. And here's the quote from George. He said, in fighting, in evolution, in life, efficiency is the key. It's not the most powerful animal that survives. It's the most efficient. Absolute biologically efficient. I, I totally agree. You know what? In my book, I put my stress principle number five energy deficit is the key factor of hormesis. Hormesis is a process that help organism, force organism to adapt to stress. That's where exposure to low level stress encourage or trigger adaptation to high level stress. This principle, exposure to low level stress, increase adaptation to high level stress, is a key principle of hormesis. Without it, we won't survive, not even this minute. Our, our body learned this way. So there, of course, there are much more details, but the one factor is energy. So energy deficit, not excess energy, is the one that triggers hormesis in all organisms, with no exception. No exception. Excess energy inhibits hormesis. Every time you overfeed an organism, it starts to decline. It's exactly the opposite of machines. 
because with machine fuel deficiency make the machine stop. With us, it just trigger improvement. So misunderstanding that make us do the worst mistake our society do. People do the boss mistake. And by the way, yo, I really like the the example that you just gave. It's very true. The dinosaurs were very inefficient. They evolved over a billion or at least half a billion years before the stress response system fully evolved and mature. So when the ice age arrived, it's not just a meteor. They could not survive the ice age while the small mammals already with a more developed stress response could survive the ice age. They were just not efficient. They were strong, dangerous. Yeah, a dinosaur can eat a monkey, but a monkey is a better survivor. <laughs> I, did, I did my work in a biology on a big bird. It's called diatrema. It's interesting. I'll be sure. So there was a big bird. I think it was about six, uh, so 12 feet high that dominated North America, gave up on the ability to fly. It still have a predator head, you know, look like an eagle head. And um, she had no uh, enemies, basically. Developed very strong legs. They used to lay almost like an ostrich, big, big uh, eggs on the seashores. And for 40 million years, she dominated the earth. I mean, vicious predator. And they used to go in flocks called diatrema until the first little mammals came, the monkeys, and start to steal the eggs. And that was it. So here's a bird that gave up one great biological feature, which is flying, because it was easier to hunt for her running. The whole species, it took 40 million years, but it, the species disappeared because a more stress-resilient and more intelligent species came in front and, and started to steal her eggs. Symbolically, we should think about it. What properties are we giving up for our comfort in modern lifestyle? And my answer is we don't need to give up on knowledge, on science, on computer, not even on comfort. We don't. But we still need to maintain certain kind of stress in our life to strive, particularly when it's coming down to our nutrition into our exercise. We need to fully understand why are we doing things. And I believe that you believe that intelligence and keeping the brain in full performance is a key factor, and I totally agree. But we also need to understand that the nutrition part around us is critically important. I think we talked before about missing nutrients the trigger or the process that we just discussed. We learn, you and me and people before, including a hundred years ago, they still believe that nutrition is about carbohydrate, protein, and fat, and some antioxidant that we get, vitamins. Then came the whole industry of antioxidant, vitamins, pills that we take. Sport nutrition industry, of course, bigger than now find 
Not only that we are missing probably the most critical nutrient in this equation, the synthetic antioxidant and vitamin that you take, in fact, causes more damage than benefit. It comes down to misunderstanding of the system. Our system is not built for more, but for less. We never evolved to get megadose amount of vitamin or antioxidant. In fact, when the body gets a megadose, it gets a signal that it's low, that it stops producing its own antioxidant, which, by the way, Anthony, you know, are much more powerful than the pills that you take. Antioxidant enzymes like catalase or um, glutathione peroxide, there is no pill in the world that could give the impact of this. In fact, your body actually thrives under stress. Every time you exercise, you produce free radical, which trigger response, improvement, lack of energy, oxidation. Your body like, um, I would say that your stress response is like a prize fighter, like a UFC fighter, awaiting my challenge. So your opponent is part of the equation. A, a fighter without an opponent has no job, right? So our body needs an opponent. We design for that. We design for stress. We deny it for a challenge. If we take away the challenge from pills, we start to degrade. You stop producing our own defenses. And in the body, as you know, it's not one thing, work. Okay, so we need an antioxidant for, for this lipid. No. When you start producing your own antioxidant, do gazillions of action, repairing tissue, neutralizing antioxidant, working on your brain, activating factor that even regenerate new brain cells, it's all happening at the same time. By shutting down one thing, you're shutting a cascade of events that make you thrive. So I'm saying we are missing critical nutrients. Our diet is extremely deficient, not in vitamin, not in oxidant, in nutrients that extend life, in nutrients that uh, trigger the genes that I talked about, metabolic pathway like AMPK and AMPK kinase and siltuin, um, nutrients that mimic the effect of exercise in your body, deplete energy, trigger PPAR gene that increase body transformation. We miss all that. I presented it in my book. Yuri, uh, Ori, sorry. I was just talking to Yuri Elkame right before and your name is similar. <laughs> sorry about that. Um, about PPAR alpha. So this is something that's new to me. I'm familiar with mTOR. I'm familiar with IGF-1 and AMPK. For the fellow nerds who are enjoying this conversation and us digging deep, can you give us a, a cursory overview of the um, interplay between PPAR and mTOR and IGF-1? I'm assuming they are um, inversely related pathways. Not necessarily, but in some way. Look, um, PPAR, uh, uh, if I want to overgeneralize, and it is, so I apologize, are basically fat-modulating genes. They responsible to transform your body or your muscle especially and mitochondria, okay, to become efficient 
in utilizing fat and make you thrive. I said before, one of the principles of biological things is your ability to burn fat, your ability to biologically not just lose fat, oxidize fat in the muscle. Key element, PPAR are not, we, well, we can call it gene. They are actually trans, transcription co-activators. They activate multiple, along with other factors, um, genes that uh, increase mitochondria in your muscle, um, shift your body from car to fat fuel, okay? And most importantly, PPR gamma, convert your fat from fat storing gene to fat burning gene. Now that sounds very technical, but that is a key element. I repeat again, I can't emphasize, as far as mTOR, yes, there is a connection. Look, mTOR is a growth mechanism. For PPAR to be active, growth needs to be arrested. That means you need to be in a state of low insulin, okay, not of a spike insulin, uh, ideally in a state when you shift to a fat fuel and trigger this activation, okay? Now, mTOR is activated as part of the insulin cascade. Ento is the body main growth path mechanism or pathway activated by nutrient, food, a certain kind of amino acid, but particularly by carbohydrate or sugar, which is a fast activator of mTOR, it makes you grow. So you're reaching a very interesting area. IGF-1 is a totally different story. IGF-1 is a growth factor that paradoxically work with or without mTOR. IGF-1 um, can be activated massively in the brain even in time that you fast. It depends on if your body is the right survival mode or not. Um, IGF-1 can be activated by growth hormone. Growth hormone kids can actually spike while you fast. But one factor you need for that to happen, insulin must be sensitive. If you are suffering from insulin resistance, forget about IGF-1. It's not going to do the job. IGF-1 is a cousin of insulin. They're very close homology. And uh, as long as your insulin doesn't need to spike, but as long as your insulin is sensitive, IGF-1 will work. mTOR can be a liability because as a young guy, or as long as your body is in a repair mode, mTOR can benefit as long when you eat carbohydrate, you spike mTOR, you basically can gain muscle. However, um, if you overspike it, if you spike as a young man, it works for you. And paradoxically, it's very beneficial, it's critical for your growth. As you shift to adulthood, if you cross the septal pressure and overspike it, it actually shortens your life. Here's the trade-off. mTOR is the number one factor that age cell. It causes them to enlarge. Growth in a non-growing body is detrimental. Basically, that's what leads to aging, and cancer, shortened life, shelf life, um, hormonal insensitivity, inflammation, and of course, aging. So, we, the adult, need to understand that we cannot feed like children. Adult and children have 
total different programs. While infant are programmed to grow, we are no longer programmed to grow. We are programmed to inhibit growth. Growth can kill us, excess growth. We have to be very careful with this. And I'm talking about, and I'm talking also to bodybuilders. Guys, you need to be careful. You cannot overstimulate growth in an ongoing body. It can kill you, and many of you probably already know that you can finish with cancer. But before even cancer, guys, you are aging yourself. The one recipe, Anthony, for aging is to overactivate growth in an ongoing body. There's no reason for that. So going back to the PPAR alpha and gamma, that's what your goal is. Activate these genes. They activate it great when you intermittent fast and exercise. Then when you shift from car to fat fuel, it doesn't have to be every day, but you train your body to train while on a fat fuel, hence eating nuts, seeds, mono unsaturated fat is a great trigger of PPAR gamma and transformation of fat. Omega-3 from seeds, hemp, whatever, flaxseed, is going to work. Saturated fat from beef, blood, does the opposite. We need to understand it. If we understand it and the spot nutrition change dramatically, we're going to be, but one more thing I want to say, and I said it before, the number one enemy central to all that is sugar. Sugar inhibits everything good that I just discussed. Sugar is a fast-releasing energy. We just discussed that energy depletion, energy deficit is the key trigger of hormesis, the, the desirable process of human fitness, biological fitness. Put sugar in the equation, and it will inhibit everything. And now we know there's evidence that sugar can cause systemic toxicity, even in amount that consider normal, even on a healthy diet. So my goal, Anthony, was to do anything possible to help people understand it and also come with real solution to remove sugar. I worked on the past seven years to create, I believe, the first sugar substitute ever created for human. It's a botanical compound that can effectively replace sugar in all categories, from baking to yogurt and ice cream and spot nutrition and, of course, beverages. It is has palatability and the look of a sugar, but it's a botanical extract that does not act like sugar, quite the opposite. So I believe that our society should consider seriously. And yes, you know, Anthony, between us, uh, we didn't talk for a while. Now we created great product, proof of concept, great baking good, honestly, from granola. We created ice cream, honestly, look like Ben and Jerry. I believe we beat the taste without the excess fat and sugar. Literally, human can, you can eat pints. All your body is getting the nutrients of good, healthy, grass-fed skin milk. So, um, cookies without sugar and without flour. Um, I'm very excited with this because it's not... I didn't even launch any of that, you know, it's not even a commercial product yet. But the fact that there are practical solutions 
and the fact that human need the sweet taste it's part we can talk about it too why we need the sweet taste but the solution to our problem is knowledge and conversion of the industry to accommodate the knowledge whether it's brain health or biological fitness or the whole system i believe that the consumer and the smart consumer should be aware of that and fight for its right when you have a person it could be an athlete or not an athlete and he crave for ice cream there's a reason why he crave for ice cream and it's not a bad thing quite honestly our inherent craving for sweet is inherent it's biologically inherent our first food we don't remember it but on that subconscious we do remember breast milk was inherently sweet it has lactose and sweet oligosaccharide and it gave us incredible sense of pleasure to breastfeed the first food because it has endocannabinoid that uh-huh. are addictive and uh, certain kind of hormone that leak to me like so it, it gives an incredible sense of pleasure that somehow it's associated and a link to the sweet taste so all our life when we under stress we want to go back to discomfort sweet comfort that we subconsciously remember early in life this is a thesis but it makes sense because we do have memory uh we know already scientifically that the brain can memorize um senses of especially senses of pleasure and there is a tendency to keep repeating not only there i mean this pattern do appear everywhere so the need for sweet is there and you cannot take a biological need from humans and expect no side effect there will always be a rebound you can tell millions of people stop eating anything sweet get away train your body you know you can't it's an inherent need maybe you can do it for a while maybe even for a year but deep inside you're going to miss it because we need all the flavor sweet salty sour estrogen etc we cannot take any of them out of the equation i believe the solution is in understanding that and start the innovating product that can help us go and restore our biological nutrition and if we do it right we cannot go wrong i quite honestly anthony i believe we feel the same we have no idea how far can we go with this i truly believe that with the right knowledge a person can be 80 years old and look and function like you i honestly maybe the hair will be white you know <laughs> but still everything all the desire you know my friend met kem black professor for neuroscience in the uh, job in um washington university in um, seattle um he said it correctly he's not the only one he said you know aging equal loss of virility when nature when you cannot multiply anymore nature is ready to spell, give up on you well that's an interesting idea and i truly believe that with the right approach people 
that are considered today old that gave up can still be viral and they will look like that. Um, I have a whole chapter in my book show how stress relates to virility. It's a very interesting subject by itself. But if you want to put it on a nutshell, you know that traditional concept is that stress hormone inhibit uh, sex hormones. Under stress, there probably was an evolutionary advantage if the explanation to not multiply, uh, bringing babies to time of famine. It's true, it's the wrong time. So under stress, we're supposed to be less pure and, and, and multiply less. So how do you explain the baby boom phenomena of Second World War. Why is it under one of the worst periods in life, people brought more babies than ever? And then there are species that can actually do extremely well under, so for example, wild salmon. You know, they are very stressed species and they multiply just, they basically breed just before death in the worst time. So, what species, what species is, that? is that? The wild salmon. Salmon. Wild salmon. Yeah. So now there's growing evidence that when you become adept to stress, your body compensates by releasing the inhibition of stress hormone on your sex hormone. In fact, the opposite phenomena happen. Now stress hormones start to boost your sex hormone. And a person who is adept to stress under hormesis can be extremely striving, build, fully functional under stress, whatever stress there is, emotional, physical, or age-related stress. I do believe that hormesis defeats sexual aging. And like we don't need to die from aging, we don't need to die impotent. I'm not gonna go too deep into that, but I do believe that certain kind of age-related diseases can be eliminated. But we don't even reach the point of that. Right now, the rate of impotence, loss of sperm coming about men, a sexual disorder about female animal is ever high because of the diet and lifestyle that we chose. So it's not even a question now. For many people, they lost their virility before they even reached the age of 40. And, the, and those who listen to that probably know about this. Is it reversible? Yes. I do believe that understanding the principle of stress can make you a better human being. Why is it so critical? Why am I talking about virility here? Hey, man, it's almost sound like pornography. Why am I talking about it? Because in the eyes of nature, natural selection, you need to be virile to thrive. You need all this machinery to work. So yes, biological fitness is not about just muscle function, and the ability to physically perform is the ability to keep your intelligence super high and virility intact. If you do that, 
you are biologically fit. If you have just one segment at a time, you never have a chance. Or I want to have some fun. fun. Biological fitness. What are some some questions questions the listeners can ask themselves to determine determine their biological biological fitness? fitness. Or what are some signs signs of being being biologically unfit? unfit? Well, you know, that's a great question, actually. Be honest with yourself. If you have a tendency to constantly gain fat, especially in the abdominal area, you're biologically unfit. I'll make it very banal. If you're already overweight in the belly area, especially, but have a tendency to gain a lot in the upper body or get a moon face, you're biologically unfit. If you're insulin resistant and every time that you eat, you gain a little bit more you gain you are biologically unfit i mean you don't have to go to a lab to know that you cannot utilize fat for fuel if you eat even a high fat fuel okay a high fat atkins diet you reduce the carbon fat and still get fat you are biologically unfit if you go to a ketosis diet you know ketogenic diet get to the state of ketosis and you're still fat, you're biologically unfit. Fit, unfit, and fat oxidation go very well. So if you have all this, let alone inflammation, inflammatory diseases, tendency to get fatigue, um, you know that. You know that. If you feel foggy, you know, uh, not not able to fully concentrate, if you're just depressed constantly, something is very wrong. And I I highly believe that people like this, if you're one of them, go back to basics. If you are sexually basically dead, that means your libido doesn't work um, at all and nothing works here uh, and, and you feel it, something is very wrong. So, um, and these are not normal signs of aging. Correct. In fact, it is a sign of aging. But they're not normal. Not normal. normal. Correct. So, um, these are basic questions that nobody will talk to you in the gym about it. It's not about losing weight or getting. It's how your body responds to feeding and even to exercise. If, however, your body responds very well to good healthy diet, that means you reduce the sugar and the carbohydrates, go to a high fat or ketogenic diet, and your body responds well. If when you treat your body right, you respond well, your brain becomes focused, and your ability, your creativity increase. You know how it is when you get this euphoric phase that all the best ideas come and you just want to do. It's like, oh, you want to exercise. You're good. You're a healthy person. If your sex drive is high, you're a healthy person. Um, don't let other people know. If people tell you, you know, you're crazy, you got too much energy, la, la, la. Shut them up. You're good. You need this energy. Um, 
And people with energy are basically more generous. They will rescue, they will give to others. They will be more generous. Uh, the people will generally lean on them. They rescue animals, you know. They plant a tree. I wrote about it in my book. There's an instinct for that too. You have no idea. We, general, we have no idea how good we can be. We just hear how bad we are. But we have no idea how good we can be if we just do things right. Not just good for ourselves. Good to each other. Good to each other. And I think I'm coming down maybe as a last thing here is the moral issue. Uh, we never evolve to strive on meat. I, uh, on that area, as much as my diet approach is similar, but I, I totally disagree. We are more, we're always more gatherer than hunters. I do, I truly believe the evidence shows that we are in open grassland in East Africa. That's where humanity strive and most of the nutrient came from actually um, botanical sources. Um, later on, marine sources, eggs too. Meat was hard to hunt and um, even though the game at that time was healthier than now, all the science evidence showed that if we depended on the fat of meat, we will not survive so well the way we are. I, I'm not even sure we reached this point that we were talking right now. We needed marine fat and botanical food to survive. According to Professor Jolie in New York, um, the whole human biology system, biological system is built for nuts and seeds, a staple food. He clearly proved in his book how our jaws and all our feature and enzyme are built to better utilize nuts and seeds than meat. We don't even have the structure here, the key structure to tell meat, neither the fact that we don't missing enzymes that predators do have. So if we understand that and we design our diet accordingly to be, I wouldn't say vegan, but more vegetarian, avoid meat, especially meat of today, stress animals, and avoid uh, definitely meat of obese animals that give you all the hormone that signal you. This hormone, you know, hormone of a cow or, or a pig, poor animal, can affect you too. The hormone that causes obesity to a pig will affect you too. So maybe one advantage of eating wild game, lean game, well, they got different hormonal bars, but yet... When you look at the fat structure, nothing can match the botanical structure of fat. So the cruelty today of animals go beyond the science of biology. The industrial butchery of animals is so cruel that it's bringing a bad karma. Yes, I do believe in God and I do believe in karma. This is a bad karma. Uh, Anthony, look at the baby calf and a baby lamb and a baby pig, they're intelligent animals, they're so cute. How can we possibly murder them and eat them? So I know there are a lot of good people out there that eat meat, and I mean it, good people, because they are innocently, they were never educated to understand the significance. So even if you don't agree with me about the moral issue, think about yourself and your family. How unhealthy. The only thing that meat has more than vegetarian food 
is the iron, effective iron, but today there are ways to compensate for that too. Otherwise, meat will never provide you the nutrient that you need. All the soft nutrients that I talk about are coming from botanical soil, except for one thing, milk. Milk is the only gift, God gift product of animals. If it's sourced from nutritional stress animal like grass fed, pasture raised that are nutritionally stressed, they are lean animals that produce actually less milk, you're gonna get nectar. You're gonna get a nutrient that, um, a fluid that is all built to help you better survive. That's what it's all about. Everything in milk is designed to help the newborn resist disease and thrive. And now we know that adults benefit from that too. So here we are. To make it simple, in principle, your diet should be based on wild plants that are resistant to stress, not overly protected, cultivated artificially, but wild plants if possible. And animal milk, not animal flesh, animal milk fed on wild plants. If you do that, you can go very far. Again, Follow intermittent fasting, I truly believe that not eating for most of the day triggers your body to be in the survival mode it biologically evolved to. And then when you compensate in your main meal or even small snack during the day, they should be all based on biologically viable food from good grass-fed milk away to soft nutrients some berries that have the compound that we talked about, and then your main cooked meal designed well, you cannot go wrong. All right, all right. Well, I think a lot, think a lot of us were listening and recognizing that with these symptoms that you described and, uh, and uh, seeing those, those ourselves. You talk you about this about the seven types of stress. stress. Where's the, the best, best place, place for people to pick up the package of the book? To grab, to grab some of, some these, of these sugar, sugar substitutes, substitutes, cookies, cookies ice, ice cream, cream, some of these great things, things and, and, and solutions solution. you're going to be offering, um, where can you direct people to? Well, my book is currently available in Amazon.com, but people can also go to North Atlantic Books and Walking Together with Penguin on my book, North Atlantic Books available in amazon.com right now. And for more information about our sugar substitute and the product, the whole vision, I'm gonna start releasing now more and more stuff in um, my Facebook, first of all, um, and also in orihoffmeckler.com. There will be update on that and um, we'll definitely release, I mean, we just have a discussion on the whole thing, but yeah, it's very important to see the details and how they work on you. And in the end of the day, you know, Anthony, we both know it's coming down to quality of life. Um, how do you enjoy your life now? And would you be able to enjoy them the same way 30 or even 50 years later.
it's all coming down to that. Not just hanging in there, but enjoying life. That's what it's all about. I love that. I truly think that like our most important goal is just feeling good. It's that quality of life. Whether we're trying to lose weight, get a flat stomach, six pack abs, sharpen our mind, it's because we want to feel good. And, um, and what you're doing with the seven principles of stress, with defense nutrition, and these innovative products that you're releasing is you're making it easier for people to increase their quality of life through better health. So I commend you, Ori. Thank you so much, Anthony. I always enjoy talking to you. And again, you look fantastic. That's the most important thing. Thank you. You too, brother. This, is, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, I had a blast as always. And we're going to need to stay in touch so that as more of these products come to market, not only I get to try them, but we can uh, keep people up to date and let them know so they can try them as well. Fantastic. This episode is brought to you by the Quantlet. The Quantlet is a wearable device similar to the Fitbit Charge HR that can help maximize your body's performance. Now, whereas the Fitbit Charge HR does so by providing additional data points and modifying behavior, the Quantlet does so by modifying cellular biology, and it does this through a concept called photobiomodulation. Photobiomodulation delivers multiple frequencies of light into the body, specifically through the radial and ulnar arteries on the wrist, and these frequencies have been scientifically proven to improve tissue repair, reduce inflammation, and eradicate pain. The end result to you is increased exercise capacity, delayed onset of fatigue, better mood, and improved sleep patterns. The Quantlet also extracts heat from the body using the Peltier effect through a thermoelectric cooling mechanism, which then improves your body's capacity to perform at its best because of this light and cold energy. The Quantlet is available for pre-order at www.thequantlet.com forward slash biohacks. That's www.quantlet.com forward slash biohacks. The Quantlet will be released in September 2016, and I've got my pre-order in already, and I can't wait. Wait.